Welcome to a special Encore presentation of Compassion Radio. Welcome back to Compassion Radio's second part on an interesting little mini-series we're calling Revival. Is it for us today? Mm. We left off yesterday just talking about the general shape of revival. What does it really mean when God revives his people? And how does that pour over into things that we would call a great awakening for those who are being quickened to the Spirit or being woken up spiritually? We talked briefly about four major awakenings in American history. Mm-hmm. Again, we're not the only things that ever happened in history, but right. we are consumed with our own history most of the time. So we look at historical revivals being our revivals. The first was the Great Awakening in the 1730s, which laid the groundwork for a renaissance, really, of thinking about what it means to be free and what it means to be a people. Mm -hmm. It affected what became the United States of America. And I'm not saying that the United States of America is the direct spiritual fruit of an awakening. I'm simply saying that those who were awakened changed the way they thought about the needs they had and their rights and the rights of others. Mm-hmm. We are beneficiaries of the fruit that came from their work, and they were changed by the work of God in many people in their midst. Mm-hmm. So I do think there's secondary fruit that flows out of revivals and great awakenings. The second one happened in the early 1800s, and it led up to a great awakening that brought on the concept of the dignity of man, which put black people back on the map as being human Mm -hmm. in the minds of those who considered themselves Christians. And the early abolitionists were Methodist. Camp meetings for the Methodist church became a great movement, which reached out and had great awakenings flowing out of that all along the frontier of America. The third great awakening came in the beginning of the 1900s and moved through that to 1950s. New denominations were born. Active missionary work started to take place and movements be became more denominations. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the social gospel approach to social issues solidified even more during this time. Let me backtrack on that one thought. We did not talk about this yesterday, but the idea of the social gospel, it has been given a name as being something that is considered lesser or something to even be fought against because it's not just about my personal relationship with Mm -hmm. Jesus. It's about other people. What the social gospel meant to those who were discussing it and praying through this was, if the gospel is real for me, it is real which means it's real for everybody. And it's got to be good news for everybody. What do people see out there that are not me about this Jesus? Do they see him as being interested in their needs where they are or not? And they got serious about saying, let's address the needs of people the way Jesus would. So the social gospel meant, if it's good for me, it's good for everybody. And I want to make sure that we don't build walls. We don't keep people from this good news. Let's do what we can to be collaborators on this planet for his kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The roots of the social gospel are really in the Lord's Prayer. Absolutely. All of the red letters will give us a good idea of what the social gospel is. You want a social gospel, read the red letters right there. Well, I wanted to go back a little bit, just a tiny bit, to the second Great Awakening. And that is where the phrase, which we think we coined it here in our modern day vernacular, what would Jesus do? Mm -hmm. That was where it came from. And it was a book called In His Steps Mm -hmm. by Charles Sheldon. And the subtitle is What Would Jesus Do? And he asks that question very boldly in that little pamphlet, 
what would Jesus do in these situations? Slavery, women's rights. Child exploitation. Child exploitation, yeah. So those questions were being asked. And addressed. And addressed back in the second Great Awakening. And the third Great Awakening solidified that even more because we gained some great evangelists during that third Great Awakening that we are familiar with more in our modern day world. And we also gained a whole bunch of new philosophies during that time, which became disciplines. Things like economics, things like psychology, things like political science. Those things became disciplines that were now studied by everybody, not just by secular people. They were studied by the church. As we grew to understand that there are big movements out there that affect everybody in different ways, and we have a way of looking at them in these disciplines, we have more knowledge now, which needs to be redeemed. The church look at these new disciplines and say, okay, what does God have to say to us about the things we're discovering about the world? How does economics really affect the poor and the rich? the needy, and the wealthy. Mm. How does the church react when the church is faced with those kind of disparities? Is it just that we don't do something if we are able to do something? Mm -hmm. And those things were being challenged left and right because they were present. They were in our faces. And there was great tumult happening and great changes in our normal lives from what we thought was America to what America was becoming. Stuff was happening that changed America vastly because of all these new ideas, these great new possibilities, these great new economic opportunities. We can look at these awakenings historically and surmise from them that Each of them has occurred as a result of some great conflict. The first Great Awakening was leading up to the Revolutionary War, like you spoke about. All kinds of things were happening to the American colonists that Mm -hmm. they thought was unjust. Mm -hmm. They were seeing taxes being levied on them for no obvious reasons. They were seeing all kinds of things pressing them, pressing them, pressing them. And their economic and civil rights were being violated all the time. Mm -hmm. They couldn't even elect their own officials without being given permission to do so by some other authority. They felt that injustice around them all the time. So they were in the middle of an internal conflict when this Great Awakening began. Yeah. And the second one was leading up to the Civil War. Yeah. And that was during a time of just great upheaval, just not only politically, but there was an intense anxiety pervading through the country. And there was religious uncertainty. And there had been a great crash economically. Yeah. And there was so much uncertainty, which led up to the Civil War. The Third Great Awakening came in the midst of the recovery from two world wars that were really close together leading into the Korean conflict, and then to the Vietnam War. It seemed like we're coming into a world where there was to be endless conflict. Right. So there's a lot of turmoil happening. Everything was just in such upheaval during that time period. Leading up to the Civil War, the Second Great Awakening, prosperity of America was dependent upon slave labor. And Mm -hmm. during that awakening, it became a convicting truth to everybody that we are depending upon the labor of others we do not reward in order to make ourselves wealthy. Mm -hmm. That was a crushing realization for many Christians that this was going on and that their system had provided for this, had designed this to be the way that they would grow and keep the country together. And there began to be a real struggle within the states about what it means to be a nation. Now, imagine that there was not a Second Great Awakening. I do believe that the Civil War would eventually have happened because there was too many different ideas competing about how to govern states versus the federal government. But there was also a sense of a growing moral compass, what we now understand the Civil War to be about. If he had to break it down to one sentence, he would say freedom versus slavery. Mm -hmm. Not just freedom from slavery, but freedom to be free to become. 
that every person in America should be a citizen, and every citizen should have rights. That was the key thing, that one idea. So we have a sense now that there was actually a moral underpinning for the conflict. And because of that, all the sacrifice and all the pain of our nation going through that resolved into something that seemed to have justice at its heart. But we are still a nation because of it. It's a different nation than we had beforehand, but we still exist. And America became, as we would say, a great nation because it managed to survive this great conflict. People during this time took that question very seriously. What would Jesus do? Right. And Sheldon believed that change was inevitable, that it would come, but it wasn't going to be through revolution. He believed that it would be through the revival of followers of Christ who knew the truth but had not allowed it to necessarily set them free. If we imagine an America coming into the middle part of the 19th century that did not have this awakening of truth from the Word of God, this quickening of those who had never known it before, and this revival of those who did, if that had never happened, what kind of conflict would we have ended up with? Would it ever have ended? Would it ever have been understandable for its moral implications? Would we be living in a world even today where nobody had any concept of why we even went through all this and what it was for? Is there any point of struggling anymore? Is there any point of being America anymore? I do think there would have been a great fallout that would be far more negative today than we're even dealing with now. Had we not been awakened, Mm -hmm. had the church not come back to their first love, had they not asked the tough questions, had they not demanded from their government satisfaction on issues of justice and mercy and identity and citizenship and rights. So that to me is one of those overflows of awakenings and of revivals. Sheldon believed that change would only come through revival. Fred Clark says that revivalism is not sufficient enough to produce the change that is necessary to encompass a whole country. It can't be only on the personal level. It has to spread out to be a social justice system. A social gospel has to happen alongside of it. That's his opinion on this. If we're just looking for personal change and revival, if we're just looking for a deeper, closer walk with Jesus, which is important and good, that's not going to change the world unless we then act upon Which is that also change. fair then to ask if the world did not change around you, did you change at all? Hmm. You know, the first social gospel that I see is Jesus telling the story of the Good Samaritan, where he flips on its head the conventional wisdom of the day, which was, we're the good people, we know the word of God, therefore God blesses us simply because we're his. And Jesus said, oh, you want to talk about neighbors? Or who should I serve? Who is deserving of my mercy? Well, let me tell you a story. Mm -hmm. And he makes the hero the guy who was considered the interlope, the illegal alien, Mm -hmm. the one who does not belong, who doesn't believe like we do, never will, has no potential. And yet he makes him the star of the story and turns this person into the savior of the person who was robbed and left for dead. Mm -hmm. And that all of those who should have been giving the gospel, the truth, the good news that God loves them, completely avoided this guy Mm -hmm. and walked their own way. And when Jesus says this to that crowd, he's talking to the church people, and it really, really yanked their chains hard. Mm -hmm. And it's in the Bible for a reason. If Jesus himself can flip the script and put a outlier, someone who's outside and unworthy to the culture. And unclean. Makes them, and unclean. The hero of the story, which brings healing to those who are suffering and don't realize that they're suffering even. The good Jew was saved by a bad Samaritan. Mm-hmm. What the story is saying. Yeah. 
Friends, before we jump back, I just want to remind you that Compassion Radio is a communications ministry, and it depends on the faithful support of you to keep bringing inspiring stories to the air each day. Our vision partners support us monthly with gifts large and small and make it possible for us to take you to the very front lines of faith. Whether you join our vision team or make a one-time gift, thank you for believing in and standing by this ministry. Here's how. The first and best way to reach us is through our website, CompassionRadio.com. It's available 24-7. You can also support us with a call during Pacific Time Business Hours at 1-800-868-2478. That's 1-800-868-2478. You can also text COMPASSION to 53445 to give right through your phone, no matter where you are. And note our new mailing address, which is P.O. Box 77160, Corona, California, 92877. Again, that's Box 77160, Corona, California, 92877. And know this, your gift is deeply appreciated. The good Jew was saved by a bad Samaritan, mm. is what the story is saying. Yeah. That tells me that Jesus wants us to really think differently about issues, about the way our politics or our policies affect other people. And again, we are not a theocracy, and nor do I think that the country was founded to be a theocracy. We're not supposed to be a God country where all the religious people run the show. We see what happens when people like that do that. I mean, Iran right now is in the throes of huge torment Mm -hmm. because they have resigned themselves to let the religious zealots run everything. Women are being murdered because their hair hangs out of a bonnet because of some rule that some hyper-religious person placed on them. Mm -hmm. Young people are being put in jail for dancing. Indeed. That's where theocracies go. Mm -hmm. And I do believe that the Founding Fathers were very careful at that because they realized where religious zealots could go with things. And they didn't want one person's idea of what Christianity was supposed to be to be the one that conquers everybody else's, or there be wars between people of different denominations. Mm We needed to make a country that was safe for every denomination to pursue what they believed God was calling them to. In other words, the secular government was to be the protector of freedom of belief. Yeah, That is something we, I think, have forgotten to cherish in our generations. It's not that we are responsible to a secular government and therefore they are higher than God. It's simply that we have made them, by our constitution, our servants to make sure that our freedom is protected. And that's a really important thing to remember about our modern Christian culture. Mm -hmm. We are much safer when we have a government which honors all and protects all. And so I know it's kind of a rabbit trail right there, but it's an important one. I think so, too. I think it is very important to highlight the fact that, yes, we believe that God guides us and the heart of the king is in the hands of God. Scripturally speaking, that's true. And we don't have kings. But we also believe that we have to follow what God is calling us to do. Yes, And we have to stand and say, like Peter and John said before the council, we have to speak out about the things that we've seen, what we know to be true. We can't help it. You can beat us. You can put us in prison. But we are going to tell the truth about who Christ is, who the, the Son of God, the Messiah is, because we know him personally. So all of this revival, all of this awakening we've been talking about the past couple of days, honey, if it produces fruit in us that lifts Jesus high, and as he would say, The greatest commandment is love Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Mm -hmm. And the second one is of the same stuff. You can't have one without the other. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you look at those two commandments and say, this is what God calls us to, that's going to produce fruit in us that is honoring to him 
and saving of our brother, of our neighbor. Now, if the outflow of any particular, quote, revival is, I'm better than somebody else, or we have got it, and we are the ones that know everyone ought to be forced to believe like we do. My friends, that's not revival. That's delusion. And that is literally an antichrist stance. And I think there are some movements that become political movements that try to call themselves a revival, but are really truly against Christ in every way. And yet some are drawn astray by that and say, well, if everyone just obeyed the rules like we do, then we would be a much better country. Mm -hmm. I don't believe that leads to love and freedom in Christ. I don't believe it even welcomes Christ to the table. I think it's exactly Mm -hmm. the opposite. So we are much better off at times of conflict, even if it looks ugly or messy, to invite God to bring your revival the way you want to do it, God. Wake people up. Awaken us to our first love. Pursue that in our prayer life and ask God to do it. And then we see things like this Asbury revival that's been in the news for the past month and a half. All of this discussion has been precipitated because of the revival that's been happening at Asbury. It has now spilled over into movements that are happening at other universities like Samford and Belmont University in Nashville and Lee University in Tennessee and Cedarville up in Ohio. All these colleges have caught wind of what's happening there and they started praying and then stuff started happening there too. Mm-hmm. We are in an age where there is great angst over a number of things. We just came out of a pandemic. And there are other threats to our safety and wars that are going on that we know could trigger all kinds of economic catastrophes to many parts of the world that we're caught up in. Mm -hmm. Is there any better time for God to say, hey, I'm here. Let's spend some time together and get things back to first principles. Mm -hmm. Let's discover together again what I always do in my body and how that affects the world. Let me walk a pew at a time (laughs) on my own initiative here and see what happens when I do this. Mm -hmm. Like we've discussed with the other great awakenings and revivals throughout history, at great times of turmoil and foment, God shows up and people are changed and he keeps anchoring the body. And I think anywhere that his family exists, he comes to them when they need him. And we've seen that even in the church in China. We've seen what's happened when there's been great persecutions, that there's a visitation. There is a presence. God shows up and just seems to resonate with a music and a fragrance with his people that they say, oh, I needed that today. I needed to smell the incense of his presence. I think you just experienced that on your trip to Vietnam. Mm -hmm. There was an awakening and is an awakening happening in the country of Vietnam because of the revival that has happened within the churches that are there. Yes. Because of their reawakening to the intensity of the love of God for them. What I saw in the pastors that I've met, there's been a revival going on in the church for 30 or 40, 50 years. Mm -hmm. At a time when their nation was being ripped to shreds by a civil war and the intervention of the American military that decimated their nation. Mm Mm-hmm. And the church had survived that, but barely. And when God started showing up, the few stories that I actually got to hear from pastors of their survival was unbelievable Mm -hmm. in that they literally had to crawl out of holes, crawl back to piles of rubble, which had been their churches so they could worship. Mm -hmm. And that is real living history for the church in Vietnam right now. Yeah. And they committed to a restoration, not just to rebuild buildings, but to rebuild people and be there for the families who had lost so much during a horrible war. Restore what the locusts have eaten. Exactly. And doing it under a communist government. Mm -hmm. For 40 years, they focus on that loving restoration. That, to me, is revival. 
And they focus on loving their enemies. Their love for God compelled them to serve those around them. It did. They became the servants of the people. They did. It gave them a lot of credibility. Indeed. And it grew and grew throughout the course of time, like you were talking about, the last 40 years. It grew so that the government then says, we kind of like what you guys are doing. You go ahead and do that. And that is exactly what happened over the past 12 months. The government in Vietnam came to an epiphany, mm-hmm. an awakening, mm-hmm. you might call it, a realization that these Christians weren't going anywhere. In fact, their churches seemed to keep growing. As they did their own census, they realized a country has moved from the ashes of war to a powerhouse economically with 100 million people or more. And they thought, you know what, we are becoming one of the great nations of Asia simply by the fact that we have so many people here and we're producing so much stuff. We've come into the world economy. They're one of the great manufacturing centers of the world now, like Korea, Japan, and China. Mm-hmm. In their midst are about maybe 3 to 5% of their entire population, which seems to be worshiping this strange Western God, whom they say is Jesus. They're not going anywhere. And they realized that it might be time to change our tactics. And they readily admitted to the pastors of Vietnam, this persecution, we don't understand even why we want to do this anymore. It's not working for us. It's not working, and it's bad for us too. We just need to manage this. And they said to the pastors in Vietnam, what do you need from us? Mm -hmm. Amazing. This is a committedly atheist government. The Christians seem to be doing exactly what we expect good citizens to do. So as far as they're concerned, at least on that, they're okay with us. Yeah. And the churches said back to them, we would simply like to be able to openly and freely share with other people and come together to worship together from time to time. And they said, where do you want to do that? They said, in the open, which meant outdoors. Mm-hmm. So during the time that I got to spend with John Podiety of Bibles for the World, we went to Vietnam to be part of two of these open-air events, which they wouldn't say crusades. They would say a great gathering. Mm-hmm. And on these stages, they brought the best of the best of their people. This is what the Spirit of God is doing. This is the music and art that's coming up. We would love to share it with you. If you want to come celebrate with us, just come. Mm-hmm. We'll tell you what the story is that has changed our hearts and lives so you can know it too. And we invite you to join with us in that celebration. And the funny thing is, in the past 20, 30 years in Vietnam, they've become culturally big on Christmas, which blew my mind. Mm-hmm. Hanoi and Ho Chi Minh City are decked out in Christmas swag. Everywhere you look, there's wreaths and Christmas trees and Christmas music and the glitz and glamour of a Western Christmas. It was just so funny to hear Christmas carols. Every once in a while, you could hear the word Jesus pop up in popular music all across Vietnam. They were giving the church the first time the opportunity to say, what is the real story behind Christmas? We're going to let you speak about that publicly. And the response was phenomenal. Yeah. Tens of thousands of people came out for these great big concerts and celebrations. The performances were amazing, but it was the word that anchored it. And Reed Saunders was the keynote speaker. Reed got to get up there and say, this is what it comes down to. This is who Jesus really was, and this is why we celebrate his birthday. As simple as that gospel message was, it brought people forward saying, I want to know who this person is. Mm. They sensed in their heart that this was not a dead story. And I need to know him. So for many there, it was quite the awakening. It was a great awakening. Yeah. So if you want to talk about great awakenings. That's one that's happening even now. And we get the honor of being able to see those things as we travel. And so our Compassion Radio listeners make it possible for us to go do this. I celebrate every time that God brings renewal, revival, and awakening. Mm-hmm. We can be armchair quarterbacks later. Mm-hmm. Right now, we have to acknowledge that God is visiting us for a reason. I think it's so important not to just look at our own inward experience. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. when it comes to revival and renewals and awakenings. But to look outside of ourselves also and see what God is doing around us mm-hmm. locally, our Jerusalem, and then going out to Judea, those further out from us, and then to the ends of the earth and see what God is doing other places too. That whole idea of the awakening that's happening in Vietnam right now is something that should be on our radar. We should celebrate that pray for the churches in Vietnam and in China and in Iran and Iraq and other places that are experiencing great persecution, that they will continue to experience the courage and the strength of God through personal revival, but through the awakening of those around them as well. I hate to have to wrap up that conversation because I think there's much more we could say. And maybe we'll come back to this again. Mm. Where's revival happening today? I'm just grateful that in the midst of our own angst as a nation, that God has shown up and crept into a worship service at a Methodist school in Kentucky and inspired some kids to get real serious about laying it all on the altar and saying, God, what do you want from us? We're willing. Well, I'm excited to see that (laughs) young people are really leaning into the passion of Christ they feel. Their fruit and what comes from that is something they have to actually think and pray through now. They put an end to, quote, the public services, but they haven't said we've stopped praying or we've stopped reviving. They've said we're going on to a new phase now. I'm just praying that the spark of fire continues, but also that the refreshing waters keep flowing and that the revival that he's shown to us in places like Asbury, Kentucky, or in Nashville, Tennessee, or in Cedarville in Ohio, that those kind of schools and the youth revival that's happening there would not be put out too soon. And that's our great hope. So thank you for sharing this time with us, friends. And don't be afraid to pray for revival right where you are. In the cities and the states where you live, don't be afraid to pray for those things. Thanks for joining us today on Compassion Radio. Whether getting Bibles into closed countries, relief supplies into dangerous refugee camps, or providing training and theology books to barefoot pastors as they begin their ministry. These are all the kind of things that we love to share with you every day. And more importantly, they're the kind of things we like to do. So call us today at 1-800-868-2478. And note our new mailing address, which is P.O. Box 77160, Corona, California, 92877. Again, that's Box 77160, Corona, California. 92877 or give online at CompassionRadio.com We need you friend, so contact us today.